So today's reading is Psalm 127. That's on page 518 of your Black Bibles. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sheep sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's word. We have been in a series on the book of Ephesians, but I feel the need to tackle a topic, and probably just because I need to tackle this, parenting. I have not done this before, but I'm going to take the next couple weeks to do it, and then we're going to actually tackle it when we come back to Ephesians in a couple of months at the beginning of chapter 6. But I wanted to do it now. I did not want to wait. So before we get to it, let's pray. I thank you, Holy Spirit. You have guided us here today, and now you are guiding our hearts that we may see your scripture as it is, that we may learn from it, and that we may trust its glorious truths. This promise in Psalm 127 is so powerful that it should change our lives. But we will keep it out if we do not want it, if we are not being helped by you. And so we ask, oh God, that you would shape us, change us, open our eyes, give us peace and a new faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Anyone know who Jim Gaffigan is? If you've hung around me more than two minutes, I've probably said Jim Gaffigan to you. He's a comedian, if you don't know. He's good because he's funny, of course. His material is is pretty clean, and he talks a lot about his own family. A lot of his jokes have to do with his family, mostly, mostly with the fact that his family is huge. His Immediate family is huge. He has five kids, five kids. And the last I heard, he lives in a two-bedroom apartment in New York City with five kids. He once said that big families these days are like waterbed stores. They used to be everywhere, but now they're just weird. (laughs) I love Gaffigan because he is an unapologetic family guy. He loves his kids. He loves his wife. He's also not afraid to admit that parenting is really hard. I love his honesty here when he says, every night before I get my one hour of sleep, I have the same thought. Well, that's a wrap on another day of acting like I know what I'm doing. I wish I were exaggerating, but I'm not. Most of the time, I feel entirely unqualified to be a parent. I call these times being awake. (laughs) Parenting is one of the greatest things and one of the hardest things. It brings with it the highest of highs and often the lowest of lows. Parenting takes your time, your sleep, your money, your thoughts, your prayers, and often your sanity. It takes all your effort and often with little help. And it's terrifying. 
Because there is no instruction manual. Yes, there are wonderful books out there on parenting. There are scriptures to aid us as we're going to see. But every kid we find out is different. Everyone that comes along, we realize we do not know what we're doing. It's like, as one author said, being handed a million-piece puzzle with no picture of, on the box to help you put it together. But you must put it together nonetheless. We must aid our kids, guide them, protect them, and not just from physical harm, but spiritual harm. Parenting is hard, but it is also a wonder, a wonder beyond wonders that we would, as children of God, get the opportunity to raise our own children, his creations that he gave to us. I have done nothing harder or better In my life, I have three kids if you don't know. Parenting is hard for sure, but I just want to give you some hope. It does not have to be a death sentence to do it well. And yes, there is doing it well and not doing it well. We do need guidance. We need help. And what we need, I think most of all, is is help in finding our faith. Finding and holding on to faith is parenting. Psalm 127 is an amazing promise, and if we can believe this truth, it should, it will revolutionize our parenting, our kids, and ourselves. Now, I need to say this up front. I probably shouldn't, I don't, probably don't need to, but I am not a parenting expert. I have been a parent for eight and a half years, and I struggle more than I succeed. So I offer this humbly. I preach it to myself as a parenting pilgrim along the way with you. Okay, three points to walk through this passage together. One, the goals of parenting well. Two, the main obstacle to parenting well. And three, the answer to parenting well. One, the goals to parenting well. Psalm 127, one, what does it say? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in Now, we think that this comes from Solomon. That's who it says it's from. Solomon was the great wise king of Israel, the son of David. And so the psalm kind of has a proverbial feel to it. It's like a proverb. And really, if you think about it, if you look at it, it's really all about the family. It's about the household of God. The household of God, the family. That is his main point, that God is building the house, the city The family. Now we're going to come back to that in a second, but I want to actually reach for the end right now. I want to reach for what we might call the goals of parenting. In other words, what do we want to accomplish? What are our hopes and dreams for our kids when we think about them in the future? What does it look like? Look at verse 4. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So this is actually the man at the end of his life, right? This is the end of his life after his children are grown. Now, in that culture, kids never left. They didn't do what I did and move from Washington State to Florida. Uh -uh, They don't do that. They stuck with their family. And yet these kids are now not kids anymore. They are fully grown, independent, living life as adults. And this person who has raised these children, if you can hear it in his voice, 
is so pleased. He is so pleased with them. They are like arrows. He longs to fill his quiver with them. In other words, these kids are thriving. They are thriving. They are doing well. What is that? What does it mean for a kid, for an adult to be thriving? After they've grown up, what does success look like? That is a huge question, and it drives our parenting, doesn't it? Is it financial success? Is it educational success? Is it political success? Is it their own marital and parental success? What you think about your kids 5, 10, 15, 30 years from now will guide your parenting. What do you hope for them? What do you want for them when you think about them in the future? I'll never forget when my baby, first baby was born, little Elizabeth, and she came out and I held her. And it, people tell, say this stuff happens, but you don't really get to experience it until it's in your face. And I saw her whole life flash before my eyes. What do I want for her? What do you want for your kids? Now, as you can imagine, the biblical view of what thriving is, is not the world's view. As members of God's family, we take a very different understanding of what success is, what thriving is. And so our hopes, our dreams for our kids, they have to be different, right? More than material success or educational success or social success. I think bottom line that we want our kids to thrive as children of God. Not as children of the world, but children of God. How do we do that? The Bible says that we take an active role in shaping our kids' hearts. Their hearts. Our job is not to secure them a good financial future, to get them into the best schools, to make sure that they have the best career success. The Bible says that our job primarily is to shape, mold, and fashion in their hearts and souls. That is a big calling. But I think it is what our kids need. And it's also what we can do, what we can take on. So let's try to unpack what that looks like. And I want to do that by actually thinking about the arrow, the arrow itself. He says he longs to fill his quiver with arrows. His children are like arrows. Okay, well, how is that? How is a child like an arrow and then a fully grown person like an arrow? Well, I'm going to say this first thing. Maybe this is not what you're expecting. An arrow is owned. You see that where he says they're in his hand. They are owned by the archer. In other words, they are dependent. Arrows are dependent. They need the archer. They need the bow. They are nothing apart from that. So with our kids. Our kids come out dependent creatures, don't they? And they are born with that innate sense that they must be cared for and loved. But listen, not just when they are little. And not just when they are teenagers, but this goes on and on. And we know that because we have the same innate sense. We long to be loved and cared for. We long for security. We never get past this. We are always looking for love. 
As parents, we have an amazing responsibility to foster this, to meet this, to love our kids, to freely and unconditionally love them. As long as we have them, we are to shape them by our love. And it is truly transformative. Our love for them, our free and unconditional love for them molds and shapes their hearts. Now we know what the opposite of love does. I'm sure you've read a story about a child who receives no love when they're children, no physical touch, no praise, no affirmations. Those children are ruined. They are ruined. But when they get the opposite, when they get the true, free, flowing, and unconditional love from their parents, that is supportive, sustaining, and life-giving. But here's the main thing. Our love points them to the love that will finally and truly sustain and fill them. In our love, we are pointing our kids to God to the true lover of our souls. A few years ago, I tried to teach my kids the Heidelberg Catechism. Maybe you've heard of that. This old catechism of questions and answers that outline kind of basic systematic theology, right? Well, it was a a massive parenting fail. I think I got through the first three questions and then gave up. But I, I think that today, if you went at least to the oldest one and you asked this question, she might be able to repeat it. It goes this way. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is this. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you want to see a thriving adult? She is one who is secure in the love of God. If you want to parent well, friends, love Here's the second thing about an arrow. It is what it is, and not in the Belichick way, though congratulations to all you people. An arrow is what it is. It is an arrow. It is perfectly aerodynamic. It has those perfectly placed veins, those little feathers at the end. It has that strong and hard tip. Why? It is meant to fly. An arrow is meant to fly, to soar through the air and pierce its target precisely and fiercely. An arrow is what it is. Or if it had consciousness, it would say it knows what it is. It has purpose. It is designed with one purpose in mind. When you pick up an arrow, you know exactly what it is supposed to do. Kids are born with the desire for significance. They are born with an innate sense that they must have purpose. They want their life to count. They want their gifts to be used. As parents, it is our duty, our job to encourage and cultivate their purpose. With our words, with our works, we teach them first that they are not adrift in the universe. That their life does count for something. They have been created distinctly, uniquely. They have purpose. God will use them. Kids long for this. They long to know their life is not a waste. So how do we do that? How do we cultivate that in our kids? There's lots of things, but they're very simple things like spending time with them. 
getting to truly know them, listening to them, learning about them, disciplining them well, knowing their gifts, their loves, their desires, praising them often and honestly. And then all you do, telling them to live their lives for the glory of God. Do not instill in them a purpose apart from God. I do not want you to say to your kids, you are the greatest. You can do anything you put your mind to. I want you to say, God has created you. He has given you unbelievable gifts and you were meant to glorify him. Because if you do that first thing, you will put the burden of their purpose on them and on them alone. But if you tell them that their gifts are to the glory of God, it lifts the burden and it lifts their faces, their minds, and makes them to thrive. Do you want to see a thriving adult? He is one who knows what he was made for. He is not living for himself, but for the glory of the king. If you want to parent well, cultivate purpose in your kids. And here's the last thing about an arrow. The last thing about an arrow. An arrow is released. It is shot out of the bow. That is its purpose. And it is a beautiful thing to see an arrow shooting through the air, through the sky. But it's also harrowing. It's also scary. There's no guarantee that that arrow, when you launch it out of your bow, is going to hit its target, that it will come back to its owner, or that it won't be destroyed. Arrows are released. And of course, so are our kids. Parenting has an end date. It does not last forever. We may give advice through their lives, but eventually they leave us. They go off on their own. Maybe they get married. And then we are no longer responsible for them. We, in a sense, shoot them out like arrows. And we have this question that is so important to ask. Will they be strong enough? When we release them out into the world, will they survive? Will they be able to handle the things that come their way? Listen, we are not the only ones who ask this question. They ask it too. They're wondering from the very beginning, can I have hope in this world? Will I be strong enough to make it? It is an amazing thing to be able to give your kids hope. To teach them faith. Give your kids hope for the future. And so first, I think you have to be honest with them. You have to be honest with them that they are going to need something more than their gifts and abilities and looks and jobs and marriages to be happy. They are going to need something more than just what the world tells them they need. They are going to need inner spiritual fortitude. It is very possible that God will give them something more than they can handle. And so we tell them, And then we allow them to experience hard things as kids. We let them fall. We let them fail. We do not try to fix every situation. We don't try to keep them from every bad thing. And here's something that I think is super important. I think also that once in a while, we tell our kids our own problems. 
We, we show them, we explain to them our own failures and weaknesses. They need to know that we are human. We are not super parents. We are not perfect. They already see it, but it is one thing, but it is another thing entirely for us to admit it to them. And not in a way that burdens them. You don't want to place your burdens onto them, but in a way that opens their eyes. And then we give them hope. True hope. Even in our struggle, even in our hard times and our weaknesses and our failures, we have a hope that lasts, that exists beyond this world. Our hope is not in money or success or boyfriends or girlfriends or in marriage or parenthood. Our hope, our only lasting hope is in Jesus. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Is that the refrain of your parenting? Are you instilling your children with hope? Do you want to see a thriving adult? She is the one who, despite all of her circumstances, trusts the Lord. And so if you want to parent well, give your child love, purpose, and hope. I think these are things that we can actually give to our kids. We can actually do this. These are the things that shape their hearts, the things that will bring them true joy and true satisfaction. But we do have to be honest that there is an obstacle to this. There is an obstacle to this, and it's fear. This is the second point. The obstacle, I think, the primary obstacle to parenting well is fear. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Then verse 2, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So is Solomon's point here that we shouldn't work? That we shouldn't put in the effort? Well, if you know Solomon from the Proverbs, that is not what he thinks. He thinks that we should work hard. So what's his point? What's his point? His point is that you can work as hard as you want, but unless the Lord does it, your work will not amount to anything. Without God, the house, the family will not get built. Now, if you do not believe this, what happens? If you do not believe that God is the one who actually builds the house, protects the city, grows the family, what will happen? Well, he says it there. He says that you will eat the bread of anxious toil. I love that imagery. You're eating anxious toil. You're consuming anxiety. You are consuming fear. Our work as parents could very well be dreadful. But I think this is our bent. I think this is where we want to go. Our default mode as parents is to not believe that God is in control, that he is in charge. We believe that we are. We believe that we are the first and last defense of our kids, that our kids' success and failure is dependent on us and us alone. Our happiness, their happiness, we believe it's up to us. We are it. There's no one else. That is daunting. That is terrifying. 
And what happens when we do that, when we take God out of the picture, when we take him off, off the throne and we put ourselves there, is that we end up parenting out of fear. When we do our work, it is anxious toil. Just think about the ways we fear for our kids. I just want to press a little bit here. We fear for our kids. We fear all the things that can go wrong with them or that won't go well. We fear, of course, that they will injure themselves. We fear that they won't be well-liked. We fear that they won't find success in school or in sports or in their careers. We fear, of course, that they will die. We want the best for them, but we are fearful because deep down we know we cannot possibly protect them forever. We cannot educate them well enough. We cannot make them well-liked enough. We cannot make them successful enough. Without the Lord and our parenting on our own, we fear for our kids. We also fear for ourselves. And here's what I mean. I think that in parenting, we often fear what our kids take from us. And they take a lot. We fear losing our money, our time, our peace. When do I get most sinfully irritated? It's when I'm sitting, working, and my kids come up to me and they demand my attention. How dare they? How dare they come up to me and ask me to get them some food? Now, I I used to think that that was just selfishness, and it absolutely is, but as I was dwelling on it this week, it occurred to me that it was also fear. I fear that my kids are going to take take away my life. Let me say it this way. I do not trust that God is using all that I have to do, all my time and energy and money, and will use it for their good and mine. Without the Lord and our parenting on our own, we fear for ourselves. And here's something even more perilous, even more horrible, and I hate to say this out loud, but I think it's true. I think that we fear often that our kids will not make us look good. We fear that our kids are not going to be successful enough, attractive enough. They're not going to be good enough at sports. All these things are driving us. Fear undercuts good parenting. It undercuts it. On the one hand, it might make you over-discipline your kids. You might be an over-discipliner. Because you want to control their every move. You want to make sure they turn out well, so you impose harsh restrictions on them. You are so fearful that they won't succeed that you give them a million rules. Fear, though, at the same time can make us under-discipline. We think to ourselves, if we impose too many restrictions and punishments, they'll just run away. They'll get mad and they will not love us. Fear undercuts our love. Fear hampers our encouragement of their true purpose. And maybe mainly, Fear flies in the face. It kills our hope. The hope, the faith that we are trying to deliver to them. Our fear, it drives attention away from the sovereign God who promises life to them if they would only trust them. If we do not trust the Lord in our parenting, why would they trust the Lord with their lives? But not only does this affect our parenting, it affects how we feel about parenting, doesn't it? 
It affects how we feel about parenting. If we believe that success and happiness and the health of our kids is totally up to us, we will be miserable and anxious. We will be irritated very often, frustrated, and often simply devastated. And especially when things do not go well, because, friends, they won't. They are not going to go well. Our vision for our kids, it might be big, but it never turns out the way we expect it. And if we believe that we are ultimately responsible for our kids, when things don't go well, we will be demoralized, devastated. We will despair. I want you to hear this. This is not what God wants for us. He does not want us to parent with fear. He wants us to parent with confidence and grace and hope and even joy. And so what is the answer to parenting well? You've already said it. It is faith. The most liberating revolutionary reality for parenting is also the simplest. We are not alone in this. We are not alone. We are not alone as parents. It is not all on us. It is not on us to create good, healthy, successful, thriving kids. God is the one who builds the house. He is using us for sure, but he is the one who does it. At the end of Psalm 127, it is clear that the the father is happy. He's elated about his kids. But he's not just happy that they've turned out well. I think he is happy because he has lived a life of trusting God. He has entrusted his kids to the Lord and this has freed him. Is that the life that you want? Is that the parenting that you want? That's what I want. So how do you get it? First, by fearing him. First, by fearing him. This whole psalm, it oozes with the power of of God. God is the one who builds the house. He is the one who protects the city. He is the one who gives purpose to our work. And then in verse 3, he says that he and only he is the creator of life. He says that our children are a heritage, which means our inheritance. They are given to us by him. He is the creator God. How do we respond to this amazing power? It must be reverent fear. It must be respect. We are weak. He is powerful. We are insufficient. He is sufficient. Most commentators think that Psalm 128 flows right out of 127, that they're connected. It begins this way. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your labor and of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. That is an amazing promise. When we fear the Lord, when we properly respect him, not when we fear our parenting, but fear him, he will bless us. Even our parenting. Fear the Lord. Two, thank him. Thank him. Psalm 127, 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now you already saw this this morning. We celebrated with Kate. We believe that our kids are gifts. They are entrusted to us by the Lord. He has given them to us. Our fear comes from the the belief that our kids are created, produced, and sustained by us. That no one loves them as much as we do. This could not be further from the truth. 
We often say to our kids, we love you so much, but if you can believe it, God loves you even more because he created you. The more thankful, therefore, we are that God has given us our kids, the less fearful we will be because we know that he loves our kids. These are his creations. They've been created in his image. He knows exactly what they need even more than us. To trust the Lord, we thank the Lord. Three, to trust the Lord, we must learn how to be happy in the sacrifice. Be happy in the sacrifice. Psalm 127.5, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Blessed, we hear that a lot. What does it mean? It generally means happiness. Happy is the man, but it's more of a whole life, holistic happiness. Everything is covered under this to be happy through and through, to have true joy. And that is important. It is important to understand because we are to be happy even in the sacrifice. God calls us in parenting to give of ourselves, of course, to give of our money and peace and quiet our energy for the sake of our kids. Parenting is absolutely sacrifice. But we can be happy in it. On the one hand, we should just be happy because it's an amazing thing. It is an amazing thing to work on behalf of the Lord to raise his gifts, to raise these children. Here's Jim Gaffigan again. People treat having a kid as somehow retiring from success, quitting. Have you ever seen a baby? They're pretty cute. Loving them is pretty easy. Smiling babies should actually be categorized by the pharmaceutical industry as a powerful antidepressant. Being happy is really the definition of success, isn't it? How biblical that is. In parenting, you are doing what you were made to do, even in the sacrifice, even in the hard stuff, even when your kids are older and they're not as cute. You are doing the thing God has called you to do. We can also be happy because God is shaping us through this sacrifice, through our parenting. And he is not just shaping our kids. He is shaping us. He is growing us. Gary Thomas might say this, parenting is not meant to only make you happy, but also holy. God is using the sleepless nights, the painful times of discipline, the heartbreak when our kids are wayward for our good. Let me quote another comedian, two comedians in one morning. Can you believe that? Here's Louis C.K. It's amazing to me. One of my favorite quotes, parenting quotes. He says, I realized that a lot of the things that made my kid, the things, sorry, let me say that again. I realized that a lot of the things that my kid was taking away from me she was freeing me of. I realized a lot of the things that my kid was taking away from me, she was freeing me of. How biblical that is. Be happy because your parenting is making you holy. Be happy in the sacrifice. And last this morning, how to trust God in our parenting? Look to the gospel. Trust the God of the gospel. The main reason that we can trust our kids and trust our kids to the Lord is because the Lord gave his one and only son for us. God allowed his only begotten son, the one whom he had loved for an eternity, to be swept up into pain 
and death and fear so that he could save us, love us, protect us, and provide for us and our kids. Why do you think that Jesus sweated blood in the garden? He feared. He feared. And his fear was not sinful. His fear was real because he knew what would come soon enough that he would lose the love of his father for us, for our kids. He took on true fear that we might have fear taken away from us. And so when we look to the cross, the glorious cross, we have hope. When we look to the cross, our faith is emboldened. We do not have to fear for our children, for he who has sent his son for us will not let them go. Whatever happens to them, and I mean that, whatever happens to our kids, we know by the cross that God will never leave us or forsake us. He is in control. Parents, will you trust the Lord? This is the key to parenting. Trust him to build your house. Yes, work with all of your might, with all of your love, purpose, and hope. But give it to God, and he will carry it. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And you are good in ways that we do not understand. You are good to a depth that we will never see. You are good to a height that we will never know. But we can begin to see your goodness in these children that we have. We have been given this awesome responsibility, this happy responsibility. And it is mainly that we would see you, that we would know you and your goodness and your mercy. You have given us parenting for your glory and for our good. It is shaping us. Continue to lift our eyes, O God. Continue to fill us with hope and love and purpose. May we live into what you have called us to do. God, I do pray for those who are struggling in parenting right now. Even after all of this, it may not matter. Parenting is such a burden. You have, they have experienced so many hardships, so many failures, so many obstacles that they are at a loss. And all I can ask, God, is that you would run to them and comfort them. That they would know your sweet voice and begin again to trust you. And God, we pray for our kids, our precious kids. We love them. We long for them to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is our desire. Would you help us to do that, O Lord? Would this be a church that parents well? We will do this as long as the Spirit is moving, and He will. In Jesus' name, amen.